Hey everyone, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Last Word on Sens podcast. Uh, my name is Alex Metzger. I'm very excited uh, that you could join me. It's something that I, this is something I've wanted to do for a very long time, and I'm very excited that I can actually get this uh, going and off the ground. Um, so I'm going to talk for a couple minutes here, uh, just in case anyone doesn't know me or where I'm from or, you know, what I do. And I also want to discuss just where I see this podcast going and what I want to do with this podcast. So if you want to just get to the interview I did with, uh, Trevor Shackles, it's a really good one. I, I really enjoyed doing it with him. Uh, you can skip probably, I don't know, three or four minutes ahead and we'll probably be in it by there. Uh, but if not, you can just kind of listen to me and where I'm from. Um, so as long as I remember, I've been an Ottawa Senators fan. I grew up in a household that cheered for uh, Montreal, the Montreal Canadiens and I think even Toronto Maple Leafs. And But for whatever reason, um, growing up in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, I decided I was going to be a Sens fan. Um, so the reason this is the Last Word on Sens podcast is I am part of the Last Word on Hockey team, Last Word on Sports team. I am the directing manager at lastwordonhockey.com. So um, if you guys don't know me, you can find a bunch of my writing there. You can also find my writing uh, for the Colorado Avalanche at sbnationsmilehighhockey.com. And you can find all my stuff on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. I also have a second podcast I do with my friend Chase McCallum. That is called the M&M Hockey Podcast. And you can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, so that comes out pretty much weekly as well. And um, if you want to just find wherever this podcast comes out, Last Word on Sends on Twitter or just anywhere you listen to podcasts. You look up the Last Word on Sends podcast and it should come up. Um, so yeah, that's more about what I've done. I also, if you are interested in Twitter, I gif every single sends game that I possibly can in a year. I think last year I probably got to about 50 something of the 60 games in terms of gifting them or 60 something games that they played. Um, you know, the year before was pretty close to, I think probably parts of 60 games that I did, even though it was the 31st place team. Um, so I'm even more excited to do that as the, as the team improves. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me, and if you want to give my Twitter a follow or you know the, the, the podcast Twitter a follow, it'd mean a lot. Um, where I see this podcast going, uh, what I really want to do with this podcast, and the reason I've really, I'm really excited to host it is I want to try and get a lot of different voices on here. Um, so pretty much every week, the, the, the plan is once or twice, once a week or maybe once every other week uh, in the offseason, especially here, I want to get a guest on just to talk hockey, talk Ottawa, you know, talk teams that are related to Ottawa. I'm hoping once the season starts, I can get some non-Ottawa people to, you know, come in, especially if Ottawa's playing a certain team or whatever, and, and just break down, you know, whatever's happening during the league. But a lot of it will focus around the Ottawa Senators, obviously, given the title. Um, but what I really want to do is... Um, get people with different viewpoints of everything, really. Um, so you'll listen to this week's podcast uh, with Trevor, and Trevor and I we really don't disagree on a ton of stuff. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I, what I want to do is make sure I'm getting a lot of guests. So Trevor and I kind of see eye-to-eye analytically. One thing that I don't always do, and I, I think I want to try to do some more, is find people who try and challenge my viewpoint, and I can challenge theirs politely, of course, and and have a good discourse there, so we can, you know, grow our knowledge of the game and just maybe try and change how we not even change how we look at the game, but just give feedback one way or another. So I'm open to have um, a variety of guests on. I'm really open to having whoever, you know, um, gets suggested, um, with it, in reason, of course, um, but. Yeah, I'm really super excited to get this started because I think it's going to be a great opportunity to um, talk to some really interesting people and just get a lot of different people's thoughts on uh, what's happening with the Ottawa Senators. Um, so, 
Without much more being said, uh, I, I think I've rambled on for long enough. Uh, I'll let you get to the interview. I, I had a lot of fun with Trevor this week. Uh, we talked about all kinds of things from the latest signings they made to um, the, the Sens offseason as a whole and just what we think of Pierre Dorian and uh, DJ Smith at this point and are they the right fits going forward? Are they, you know, how have they done so far? Uh, lots of good stuff we got into. So I'll, I'll throw to that now and I uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you all enjoy. Now joining me is uh, Trevor Shackles, of the, the host of the Cost Per Point cast. I was going to say co-host, but uh, some unfortunate news this week. But he is, uh, he's taken over as the lead host and keeping that going. Um, so I'm sure you guys have all seen him on Twitter. Uh, and uh, Trevor, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Um, so today we're just going to kind of break down some of the Sens news throughout the week and also just talk about, you know, their offseason as a whole and... Uh, you know, where, where do they go from here? So, um, uh, you know, I, I guess we'll start with uh, what have you thought uh, their offseason as a whole in terms of uh, expectation and also just taking a step back and looking at it? Yeah, for sure. It's been a super strange offseason. I've seen a lot of people um, just kind of in the national media and, and I guess like uh, local media as well um, say sort of like praise their offseason and say that they've gotten a lot done, including their draft. Um, I, I know a lot of other people who are, you know, kind of the diehard fans sort of saying the opposite that, you know, they, they, they definitely have spent a lot of money. Um, whether that's money well spent is kind of up for debate. I've definitely loved some of the moves that they made. You know, for example, Evgeny Dadanov, I, I don't even know how they convinced him to sign for three years at $5 million per. I, I think that was just an absolute steal. Um, I... I don't think I'm as big of a fan as Murray as others are, but I still think it's, it's a, an interesting risk to take and, and one that um, I'm, I'm pretty fine with. And yeah. And then they've had some other moves that are very, it's definitely like their MO where, you know, they, they want to acquire these tough gritty players that are quote unquote hard to play against. Uh, you know, you have Austin Watson, Erica Branson, Josh Brown, guys like that. And they're definitely not moves that the analytics community likes. And, you know, I kind of consider myself a part of that. So um, you can definitely see what they're, what they're going for. They're going for that, um, you know, sort of, the, yeah, like I, like I was saying, the, these guys that are tough to play against, um, whether or not they're actually good is another, uh, another discussion. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I don't know with, with Dorian, he very rarely ever makes moves that are just sort of fine. <laughs> a lot of the time it's either, Oh, this is a very great move. You know, um, he, he's had some fantastic trades getting, getting rid of uh, Broussard and Pajot. Um, obviously the Carlson deal is, is, is looking amazing now, but then a lot of times there's just some of these ones that at least personally, I just really don't like. So uh, it's been pretty interesting. Um, but at the same time, like, I do enjoy the fact that there's so much going on and so much to talk about. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, I mean, anyone who came here expecting me and you to disagree about a ton of things are probably in for a bit of a surprise because I would generally consider myself part of the analytics community as well. And uh, yeah, there's definitely been some moves where it's like, it, it's good, as you said, that there's a lot of happening because there's honestly, it's, not hard to envision a scenario where Ottawa did one or two things this offseason, just barely hit the cap floor and said, ah, that's good enough. We're yeah. not going to do anything else. Right. But they didn't do that. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about Dorian today. And one of the things we had was, you know, do we think Dorian's a good, bad, or, you know, where, where, whereabouts do we think he is as a GM? And um, yeah, you know, when you look at this off season, off season specifically, like 
I thought the Murray acu- acquisition was pretty good. I thought the payment was a, a little surprising, you know, like it, it felt a little high and I get you're eating some UFA years and he's won two cups. So you got to pay for that. But like, even just seeing him come in at 6.25 for three years and then Markstrom come in on a six by six right after is like, they're different contracts, of course, for different goalies, but it was just a little, a little jarring, but yeah, you know, like the Dadanov move, I like, uh, that's just, un, I don't think since Twitter's talking about it that enough. Like it's just incredible that they got him on that kind of contract on that kind of term. I just, I still can't wrap my head around it. And then on top of that, like, um, I'm trying to think of what, so the Austin Watson move, to me, that's one of the ones that uh, I just don't see a defended. I mean, even with, it's hard because I can't say without the off ice stuff, you know, they're obviously there, but you know, there has, there has been stuff where he has kind of showed, I think that he wants to improve. But even if you just put that all aside, he's still one of the worst players in the NHL over the past three years or whatever. So it's like you gave up a fourth round pick for a guy who was providing negative on ice value to your team. And I, I just, I don't know. It was one of the, the thing about the spending money. I think it was Dom Lushijan who had a chart in the athletic and it was pretty much, um, there was four corners. So the one way yeah, it was that one. <laughs> money added, uh, money subtracted, and then goals above replacement added, goals above replacement subtracted. And Ottawa had subtracted very little goals above replacement, but it spent the second most money in the, the off season. I was like, that mm-hmm. <laughs> seems about right where I think I would put them. And then internal growth, I think might help them grow a little bit, but I, I don't really expect them to be much of anything this year. I think it'd be a little disappointing if they were a bottom two or three team again, though. For sure. And I think that um, as Dom would, would agree, there's, there's definitely some aspects of the of that model that will, you know, underappreciate and undervalue certain guys. Um, you know, a, a huge wild card with with this team is just what are these young rookies and and just young players in general? What are they going to contribute? Right? Like, if you have Logan Brown and Drake Batherson all of a sudden becoming top six or even just like top nine uh, contributors, that's a huge bump right there. If you have Christian Willanin, um, you know playing solid second pairing minutes. That's a huge bump. Uh, Matt Murray obviously doesn't have huge. Uh, I, I think he was like projected as like a 0.0 wins above replacement uh, goaltender. So, you know, even if he's just like, doesn't have to be amazing in that, but even if he's just like a solid starter, like a top 15 starter or something like that, all of a sudden that's, that gives you a, a lot of value. And, you know, I, at the end of the day, like, like you're saying, it's still not going to be a very good team, but I do think there's a chance that they could, you know, maybe in like the bottom five to 10 range rather than uh, bottom one to five, you know, just sort of moving up uh, to, to an area that's a bit more respectable. And I, w- I wouldn't say like they would be challenging for a playoff spot or anything, but yeah, there are so many moving parts with this team and like just so many different directions they could go. I, I just, I will say though that I really hope that, DJ Smith is able to integrate some of these young guys into the lineup because that is going to be key for this team moving forward. If they really want to take that next step over the next few years. Yeah, I totally agree. And we'll get into that last point, right? A second. I think the one big thing, as you said, with Murray being the wild card is even if he's average, I think this team gets better because as much as I love uh, Craig Anderson, I think he's the best goalie this franchise has had. If you want to include term, he's been so just not good the past couple of years, you know? So it's like, like he's been one of the actively one of the worst five goalies in the league. And like, again, that's tough to say because like, like I grew up watching this guy pretty much for, you know, he came in, what was it 2012? So I would have been 
2011. So I would have been 11 years old, 12 years old when they picked him up. Like that was like right as I was starting (laughs) to get into the Senators hard, like really hardcore. And so it's like, it's tough to say, but like, he's just been one of the worst goalies. So even if uh, Matt Murray can provide six goals saved above average or whatever, yeah, like there's a huge jump right there. So I think he's obviously the biggest wild card, but yeah, the the last thing you got there with the prospects kind of being in here is kind of one of the uh, biggest talking points I want to, to discuss today because the two signings they made um, this week, one of them we were expecting uh, RFA Chris Tierney signs a two-year deal at three and a half million dollars per season. And the other one um, I personally wasn't expecting. I, I thought maybe they'd go and look at a center and I guess by definition, he can play center, although he plays a lot of wing too, but it was uh, Alexander Galchenyuk for one year, 1.05 million. And I don't know. I'll, I'll give my thoughts on the Galchenyuk deal. I think it's okay in a vacuum. Like, it's one of those guys where it's, you take a bet on him and there's no downside in terms of the contract. Like that contract's not haunting you at all this year, but uh, it, it's the prospect thing where it's like right now, if they don't want to risk putting one of Balsers or uh, Schlappig on waivers, there's no way Stutzel cracks this lineup without an injury. So it's like at what point, and they're still linked to a guy like Corey Perry too. So it's like, at what point do you say, okay, we need depth. We want depth just in case of injuries. But at the same time, it's like, where do you go where it's like, we need to also keep some room for these prospects. For sure. And, uh, you know, your point about Balsers and Schlopik and Stutzla, that's exactly what I was talking about on Twitter yesterday. And uh, yeah, it, it just, I mean, I'm sure there will be an injury and I, I there probably will be, you know, expanded rosters. Um, but at the same time, you know, you don't want prospects in the, in the press box all the time. So you're right. I, I don't see any scenario where Stutzla can be in the top 12 unless you're putting one of Balsers and or Schlopik on waivers. And I think that would just be terrible asset management to lose one of those guys for nothing. Um, now, do I think that Balsers and Schlopik have a ton of upside? No, not necessarily. I do think Balsers has a bit of upside where he can maybe be like a middle six forward, a middle six winger. You know, he was over a point per game player in the AHL last year and should at least project as like a 30 to 35 point kind of, kind of winger. And, and, you know, Schlopik has, hasn't really put up the points at the NHL level, but he's been one of their better defensive forwards, especially in the bottom six. So uh, yeah, you're right. Like kind of, kind of like down the left wing, you have Kachuk, Galchenyuk, uh, like hopefully Balsers and then probably Paul. And then, yeah, like if you want to include Stutzla, um, you know, Doran, made it pretty clear that they want to try him on the wing first rather than center. So there, there really isn't a lot of spots for these guys. Um, it, it's pretty much, pretty much seeming like Batherson should be a lock. I, I, there's no scenario where it's, you know, there's, there's no reason why he should be in Belleville ever again, unless he's just, you know, completely falls flat in his face. Um, and then I would hope that Logan Brown gets a chance, but other than that, like maybe Balsers and Schlopik if, if they don't want to put them on waivers. But I don't see any chance for, for guys like Formanton, Abramov, Norris, um, Stutzla, like even if they are deserving of these spots. And I think a few of those guys are ready. But you're right. There's, they're just, there's not a whole lot of spots, which is kind of funny just, you know, weeks after buying out Bobby Ryan and saying that they need to make room for the young guys because – you know, there isn't really a whole lot of room anymore. 
Yeah, no kidding. Like, that's what a lot of the moves, you know, like, and the declare, that that's the contract stuff. I think he kind of overread the market, and that's its own thing. But anytime yeah. a guy left, they go, oh, yeah, we got to keep room for the rookies. Well, it's like, even on the back end, there might not be room for Brandstrom just in the opening lineup, which is just like – I don't see how there's room for him, yeah. Which is just like that, to me, is just – I don't know how you can start the season like that. I'm really, Like, how long until you actually start seeing these prospects? Because to me, it's like – what more does Batherson, Brown, Norris, or Branstrom have to prove in the AHL? And I saw a couple people with the takes yesterday of, oh, maybe they want to load up the AHL again with the AHL announcing they're going to start. And, like, to me, I just – I can't explain how if that is your strategy. I just I, – I don't I – I cannot disagree with that enough. If you really think they need the playoff experience, send them all down at the end of the year. That's cool. But, like, yeah. they show yeah. nothing right now being in the minors for the whole year, especially, like, Branstrom – Batherson and Brown I think Norris fits in there too but those are the big three because with Logan Brown the knowledge of what you have of him this year is so important because if you can figure out this year if he could be uh, like let's say he comes in he plays like a good 3c if you see a logical step where he is your 2c next year you don't have to worry about that for the future but if he comes in this year and is just absolutely horrible and you go okay like this guy is I don't know if he's not fast enough or whatever, but we got to cut bait with him. At least you know that now going into the offseason. Whereas if you're going into next year, and I think I said this again, like I don't want them to be bottom five this year. I absolutely think they could be. Like this kind of has the making of a roster. But like I said, ideally this year you hit 20 to 25th-ish, and then next year you're pushing for a playoff spot. I don't know if you hit it. They're in a pretty tough division. But if you're in the 16 to 21-ish range next year, I think that's good improvement. But like, to be there, it feels like you should want to know exactly what you have in a couple of your young guys right now, right? Alex, you're stealing words from my mouth, man. I mean, like, exa- that's exactly how I feel, right? It's, it's so – you need to know what you have. And I think it's so important for a team like Ottawa where they have so many – just like the, the quantity of prospects that they have, right? They – not all of them are going to work out, and we know this. That's like, you know – in 2011, we would have been talking about the, the future decor of Carlson, Runblad, Cowan, and Weirkoch, right? Like, yeah. so we, we know that. draft, yeah, like all yeah. that stuff, like, yeah. For sure, like you can't, you can't um, expect all these guys to work out. So you need to know, okay, who, who are the guys that are actually worth keeping around and who can we ship off, right? Like you don't need to have these guys in the top six or in the top nine or whatever uh, for the entire year. Uh, I've seen a lot of people kind of souring on a guy like Logan Brown. Why not put him with on the, put him on the top line, put him with Brady Kachuk and Evgeny Dadnov, see what he can do. If he, if he isn't great after 10 games, okay, then either put him on the third line or something or, or send him down. Like, I don't, I don't think there's much harm in at least just giving these guys some trials. Um, and, and they really need to, there was a discussion on this on Twitter yesterday. I believe it was Tyler Ray uh, at defense minister saying that he just hates the phrase um, that like the NHL is not a development league because that's just not true. I think, I think for a team like Ottawa, they really should be developing these guys in in the NHL, especially ones who are over 21 years of of age, right? You have uh, Batherson and and Brown who are 22 Balsers and Schlopik are 23. Like, those are the guys, especially, who should really oh, even a even a Bramov will be twenty two. So those are the guys that should be getting NHL minutes, seeing what they can do, 
And then, you know what, if they're, if they're not that great, maybe you can try to package some of them for an NHL or, or something before they lose like all their value. Right. So um, yeah, I, I think we hundred percent agree on, on how, how this upcoming season uh, should be played out. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like even last year, I was all for the prospects playing, but I kind of at least understood more. Yeah, this is a horrible team. Like let them go yeah. and eat up the AHL, but they've already done it. So they don't need to do it again. But yeah, like the the whole I saw that take being thrown around. I think it was with uh, uh, Stutzel for a little bit there, where it's oh he doesn't like the NHL is in a development league. It's like that's just false. Like there's like go and look at I bet you any NHL team and eighty to ninety percent of their players have developed from one year to another while playing in the NHL. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them it might be twenty one years old, some of them might be twenty four, but like you develop in the NHL and like. I hesitate to try and draw comparisons to Toronto in an Ottawa market because I know it's a meme and they haven't made the playoffs and like everyone here is supposed to hate Toronto, but like, man, like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner and William Nylander all developed pretty nicely in the NHL, you know, like Marner had one year in junior, uh, Nylander had one year in the AHL and Matthews just stepped right in. And again, like, I don't think Ottawa has any one of Austin Matthews talents. There's very few people like that in the league, but at the same time, like you've seen, and not just them, like Colorado, you've seen growth from Mika Rantanen in the NHL from year to year and stuff like that too, right? Well, look, and, look at Mika's advantage at in Ottawa. He got better like every single year and that yeah. continued until he got to New York as well. Yeah, and like I get like some, you know, a lot of us uh, Sens fans are kind of burned by the ideas of Curtis Lazar and, and Cody Cece, but there's also, <laughs> you know, the possibility, especially with Curtis Lazar, where he just like, he wasn't really much of an NHL. Like maybe he just wouldn't he have worked out as right. He didn't like, have that much skill. <laughs> no, and I mean and he's still hanging. around. I think he's got an, another deal in Buffalo, so he's still yeah. hanging around. But he's just kind of what he might have always been in terms of a bottom six forward, and that's fine. But it's like people like, and I get it. You don't want to just throw an eighteen-year-old in there and say good luck. Yeah, you know, like go swimming or whatever. But people always seem to bring up you know CC and um, Lazar, but forget that even like. Two years ago, Brady Kachuk stepped in as an 18-year-old, looked great doing it, and then improved again last year. So, like, I don't know. I, I think that especially for guys who are 21 and 22, there's just no reason to keep most of them down in the minors this year or in the AHL or wherever it is. Like, and I think it's also, I think it's also important to mention too that there's been data uh, backing this up that forwards pretty much peak around like 23, 24. So yeah. they're not going to get that much better. Yeah, really. And I mean, like, obviously, you know, a lot of the teams that win the cup, they're not just a full core of 23 year olds or anything you need. There's something to be experienced and, and some luck, but yeah, like your especially your peak physical capabilities. It makes sense that it's 23, 24, right in that area. So it's like, yeah, eventually, you know, like you're still, obviously this core is very young, but if you waste two or three years of it with guys sitting in the AHL, suddenly you don't have that young of a core anymore. Right. And it's like, it's not that you have an old core. You just, you're not the young up and comers anymore. It's the, okay, you should be here by now. And I don't know, like they, they still have a, a little while to go, a little while to go with that, but it's just like, yeah, that first group of prospects, you'd really like to see them taking the next step right now. And to, it's not really their fault. In my opinion, like, I, I don't, I don't know what more most of them could show even with Schlappick, you know, you said how like his point totals don't go off the board, but yeah, he's been one of the best defense, like defensive forwards Ottawa's had in a number of years in a, bottom six role. I think he's a perfect mm-hmm. third or fourth line guy who can go out and not get shelled when he's on the ice. For sure. Yeah. And it's, um, and, and, and to be fair, like we're talking about stuff that hasn't even happened yet. So who knows how they'll actually be deployed. And um, 
I do think that DJ Smith is – I do think he's a coach that is liked by, by the players and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm not going to – I'm not going to say, like, he should be fired or something. Or um, I'm obviously very open to giving him a chance and seeing what, what, seeing what he can do this year because last year wasn't really much of a test. This, this year is going to be the test to see what, what players he can actually turn – from prospects into NHL players. So, um, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's more just projection from us, sort of like, okay, we're, we can see this coming, and we, and we hope it, it doesn't, um, you know, hinder these prospects, uh, their development. But, um, yeah, like, I'm still, I'm still very interested to see how that goes and, and how he integrates those players throughout the year. Yeah, agreed. And that's one of the reasons I want to have you on, because I wanted to have a conversation about him. I know I saw you – uh, poll on Twitter the other day about, you know, how do you feel about him, right? And I believe it, this is, it'd be funny if it wasn't you, but I'm, I'm like 90% no, sure yeah, it was you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the options were, um, you know, like, uh, he's not the guy, because um, it was more about, like, what do you, where do you see him long-term? And it's either it's yeah. not the guy, or it's, I haven't loved what I've seen, but, you know, he's still, like, this is his year. Um, yeah, so-so needs to improve. He'll be long gone. I like him so far, or I like him a lot. He's the right guy long-term. And it was overwhelmingly, I like him so far. And then, um, so with 60% of the vote and then, you know, 13, 16 and 10 in that order for good, so-so and bad. And I said, I, I voted in the so-so range needs to improve, but you know, I don't personally see him being the long-term coach just because how often does the coach who starts a rebuild actually be the one to take a team to the cup? I don't know how, how often that actually happens, but like saying that, like, I'm not, I, I said, I vote so-so because as you said, like, I don't know what he could have done last year to show that, like, he knew, like, or he, he had any, like, there was just no hope to do much last year. And there were some things I agreed with. There were some things I disagreed with. But the one thing I will say, and I, I don't, I try not to put too, too much stock into it, for how bad that team was, there was a lot of quote-unquote buy-in. Like, like that, that team for multiple different nights in January could have just packed it up and said, see ya, we're getting blown out 7 nothing tonight. And Sometimes they did. Sometimes that did happen. But even when they let in two goals early, it, it felt like they were our, they were always at least somewhat in the game and trying to chip away at it, which not all teams would do. You know, some teams would just sit back and be like, this, this leaks, like this year sucks. Let's just get out of it. And they didn't do that. So, you know, that's a, that's a plus on, you know, for me uh, when I'm looking at him, but this is definitely the year this year and next year, the two where it's like, okay, hey, he really needs to, you know, show what he, you know, where he is, coming through what he's capable of. And, you know, I think this year and next year, especially will be the two that really prove if he's the guy long-term. For sure. And I think that there's definitely something to be said for that buy-in that you were talking about. Right. And I know a lot of people had said that players and, and um, people from other teams and stuff had said that, Ottawa was like deceptively hard to play against, which is, is definitely what they're going for. So that is a good thing. And it seems like he's, a, a, you know, a nice guy, uh, you know, someone that the, that the players really like. So that is good. Um, like you're saying, it's, it's hard to get too much of a, you know, of a gauge for him for, for how good he was, because like either way, like we knew that he was there were going to be a bottom five team and I don't know. I, I think some of the praise is like a bit going a bit too far. So I, I went in the so-so one as well, just because we haven't really seen what he can do. And, and there are a bit 
a few things that give me some pause with him. And the main one would be some of the deployment with, I think he was a bit too strict on some of the prospects. Now we'll see with this year, like maybe he's, um, and he should be more lenient, especially on guys like Batherson and Brown who, you know, have nothing left to prove in the AHL. So that's something to keep an eye on. And I also, there's no way these are just coincidences that all these guys, um, that they have on Ottawa used to be coached by DJ Smith, right? Like Austin Watson was a, now Smith was the assistant there in Windsor, but uh, Smith coached Watson. And I think that is a hundred percent one of like the main reasons why they targeted him specifically. Um, other guys, you know, Scott Sabaran last year, not really much of an NHLer. Glad he got his money, like good for him, but he's really not an NHL player. Um, you know, the three Leafs that they got last year with, yep. Uh, Zaitsev, Connor Brown, and, and Ron Hainsey, or four, I should say, and, and yeah. Tyler Ennis. Um, who else am I miss? They Josh was, Brown um, yep. as well from, from uh, was it Windsor, I believe? One, one of the like teams that, yeah. I thought maybe there was Oshawa. a link to Branson as well. But, yeah, it's like might have, everyone, right? Like, yeah, and I think there was maybe even one other. So, like, it's just a lot of and, – and the thing is, a lot of these guys aren't really that great. Like, Ennis was a good pickup from Toronto, but – yeah, it's just there's they're they're all sort of that same prototype of player that's like tough and and gritty, but doesn't really have good results to back that up. So I'm just a bit hesitant in like I don't want my head coach having such a big role in the pro scouting department because coaches aren't scouts. I know yeah. like they have they're good with tactics and tactics and stuff like that, but they should have pro scouts for a reason. And I just don't – I don't really want him a huge part of that process. I think he should – you know, Dorian shouldn't be trading for guys that Smith is, like, just straight up not going to play or something, obviously. But I, I don't – I don't really agree with a lot of the organization's philosophy with guys that they target. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think I would be maybe even less worried from what you saw this offseason and just, okay, again, they're not, they're not planning on being very good this year. They, they want to be tough to play against or whatever. But I'd be less worried if we didn't see this exact the same thing with the last head coach and it, the exact yeah, same exactly. thing just completely backfire, you know? Like uh, Guy Boucher got the guys he wanted. You know, Nate Thompson, who was a disaster in Ottawa. How much did we hear about how – Tom Pye, it was a fourth liner, and that isn't going to matter that much. Yeah. It kind of mattered. But he played everywhere. He didn't play yeah. the fourth line. Like, yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the straw that really broke the camel's back there was the one night where he played on the first line. And I don't even remember what – I just remember writing it. It was against Toronto, and they just got eaten up. But it was just like, this has been a problem all year because he's played second and third lines all year. And it's just like – but it's, it's that same idea, right, where it's like, yeah, your coach should have some – um, communication on what you know what kind of players you're trying to get right and like you should be on open dialogue with how to how would you see this fit player fitting in with your system that that player but like yeah your coach your your pro scouting staff shouldn't simply be your coach going I coached this one this guy exactly. one time a decade ago yeah. I really like him like if he's gonna do that go for Anthony Sorelli please yeah yeah exactly right but it's just like it, it's one of those things where it's like yeah I, I wish that you know there'd be a little more and maybe that's just part of the issue with the resources that Ottawa has too. Um, Cause this kind of leads into my next talking point of how good of a GM do you think Pierre Dorian is? And if you, obviously I think he's, his job is going to be pretty safe just because 
he's Melnick's yes guy. He's been that for a couple of yeah. years. Like Melnick won't fire a GM. I think if things went disasterly, they walk away maybe mutually at the end of a contract, which I don't even know when it ends. I think he just signed a new one this year. Right. But or sure, last yeah. year, maybe, I, I don't know. Either way, um, you know, like I, I don't see him firing GM. So I think he's here for a lot, but like, do you see him being a good fit long-term? And we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but I just, I go back and forth on it like all the time because there's some things where it's like, that was a really good move. But then there's other things that are, they're not necessarily just financially limited. You know, like I think we all understand that um, this team is financially limited. There's only so much you can do at times, but I think that there has been times in the past couple of years where Dorian's got a significant break for that when, you know, maybe you shouldn't be when it comes to just signing frankly, the wrong players, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's pretty interesting because I do think the fact that Melnick is the owner has hindered him in, in a lot of ways, you know, like I, I think he would have been more than okay with giving out a stone contract, for example. So I think he, he certainly could have done better on that um, at the same time. And, and sorry. And also for pro scouting, I think that if he just had a, a larger front office, I think that would help so much. I mean, I can't imagine there's a single GM out there that works more than Pierre Dorian does just because of, yeah. you know, the, the lack of resources he has around him. And I think some people around him, especially some, I know, I know they do have one analytics guy, but I don't, I don't think they really use him too much. If they just had, you know, a, a bigger front office, I think that would help him so much. Um, then again, at the same time, if he, if he did have more money, kind of like you were saying, I wonder if he would just, you know, had spent bad money on, on bad contracts, you know, like signing a four year deal for 5 million for some like third liner or something like that. So I think overall he's a very strange GM. Like if you ask me like deep down, if I think he's a GM that, that will end up getting them the cup, I would probably say no. Like just, just like this is my gut feeling. But then again, like, I mean, there's been some GMs out there that have been pretty not great. I mean, Peter Shirelli won a cup yep. in Boston, yep. so it can happen. It's not like it's impossible. It's just, I, I think he's a pretty average GM overall that probably gets pushed back a bit because of those lack of resources, maybe ends up in that 15 to 20 range. Um, there are so many good GMs out there that I, I would have a hard time putting, putting him above. Um, but yeah, like he, I, I just think philosophically me and him would, would disagree on, on some things in terms of what to prioritize. I would definitely prioritize a lot of skill, which I know not everyone does. Um, and I think he would prioritize a lot of, I guess a mix of skill, but then also a lot of kind of grinding it out Tough type of play players. kind of guys, right? Like, so yeah. yeah, like he, he's an interesting guy to, to analyze. Um, but yeah, it's just you're right. I, I I can't really see him being fired for for a long time. Obviously, every GM is going to have his shelf life, but yeah, he'll he'll have at least a few years. And um, I I think to do him justice, I, I don't think he should be fired in the next like two years anyway, because there shouldn't really be any any expectations. But after that, there's um then you know then the pressure will start to be on in probably like 2022 20, or so. Yeah. I mean, I go back and forth both ways. And like, again, I think on Twitter, generally, I probably come across as a Dorian hater, quote unquote, if you want to say, I, I don't hate him. I think he's done a fine job. It just, he gets so much praise for doing stuff that like, 
I just, I don't know. Sometimes he gets praise online or just for stuff where it's like, Hey, like no offense, but just about anyone could do that. You know, it's like, and like, don't get me wrong. The Carlson trade's amazing now. And he hit on Norris and even the Balsers pick and, you know, DeMello, but then you go and let Dylan DeMello walk just to sign, you know, three other defensemen that aren't great. And so I, I just, I go back and forth on all the time. It's like, and well, how much of, how much worse would that Carlson trade look if they got last year's pick and not the third overall regressed pick this year? Because, the only reason they didn't have their 2019 pick was that San Jose traded away to uh, Buffalo for the Evander Kane deal. And mm-hmm. I have, I mean, maybe he would have been savvy enough to look and see there's a possibility where, you know, uh, the Sharks were grass. But I think it would have been pretty obvious to me anyways that he was going to take that 2019 pick if it was available. But either around the fact, it just like I go back and forth where it's like, yeah, like I'll defend him sometimes because I think he's done a good job building this core. But then like, people praise it as like no one else could do this. It's like, well, the dude got told to sell the best defenseman in the league, one of the top five wingers in the league, a number one center and a top six winger. And it's like, he did a very, very good job on, I would say three of the four trades or at least like, I think he, he, I mean, the Dzingel one is just like, you look back at that and that is just such a robbery. So it's <laughs> insane. Yeah. Um, you know, the Duchesne one wasn't bad either. The Duchesne one was a pretty good trade. The Carlson for a rental one, especially, like, yeah, that's pretty good. Exactly. The Carlson one maybe looks better now, but I think it's still fair to say it was overall a, a better trade, especially that at the time, but a good trade, I think. At very least, yeah. you have to say it was a good trade. And with the third overall pick, I think you can even say it was a great trade. The Stone one, that one is bad. I, I just I don't think there's any way around that. I, I, I don't know how you don't get more picks or a first rounder. I get Branstrom was a very solid prospect, but you're trading a top five winger in the league. But again, like I just, I go back and forth to the point where like my one thing I used to always say there's in in coaching, it seems like there's five or to seven good coaches, about three or four really, really bad coaches. And a lot that are just kind of in the middle that like pretty much they don't really help one way or the other, you know, maybe a little bit. And that's kind of what I feel about GMs too. I think there's, a couple really good savvy GMs. I think there's a couple really, really bad GMs. Although even some of those are getting weeded out these days too. And I think there's just a group in the middle that are like, they range from, yeah, generally they know what they're doing, but they have a couple, what is that? And generally they just kind of do whatever, you know? And I think Dorian's moved his way up to the, it is what it is kind of thing. Right. But like, I still think he's probably closer to 20, 25th than he would be top 10 or 15 in my opinion. Yeah. And you're right. There's that mushy middle that it's just it would be impossible to differentiate him with with so many other other GMs out there. Um, but yeah, like you said, he he certainly moved out of that. Obviously, Shirelli's not a GM anymore, but like he moved out of that laughing stock Shirelli um, Alan, like, tier. So yeah. yeah, and like honestly, I don't even know who I put in the bottom. I haven't really loved Bill Guerin, so maybe he'd probably be near the bottom. Um, but yeah, like it's. You're right. He, he, he's made some fantastic ones. I, I honestly forgot about the Dzingel one for a moment there. So that was fantastic. And yeah, I, I think, I think he did a pretty solid job of moving away assets, like for the most part, but then obviously like that's, that's not the real test. The real test is bringing in quality players. And um, I, I just wanted to mention too, with, with the draft, I think that, I think that overall they've been, above average in drafting probably around I, like I would probably put them around 10th I've like I've seen 
that's just anecdotal, but that's, I've also seen some data to back that up kind of like in that range. I think they're very good at identifying NHL players, like in terms of NHL games played, they're definitely one of the better teams out there, but I think they're probably about average. So, so worse relatively, like for their own standards, average at finding impact talent. Like, you know, if you're, for a draft like let's say okay we're counting christian yaros games played okay well you know he's like a seventh defenseman so um sure he found an nhl player but um you know and it's still a good pick it was like a fifth round pick so i'm not i'm not complaining about that one specifically but i was just saying general a lot of their guys are um you know maybe like middle six players or like second pairing defensemen or whatever so i do think that um for example like let's say if Alex Formanton or Shane Pinto become kind of like second or third line players. That's fantastic. And I, I'm really excited about both those guys. And I think the, they both have a very good shot at being NHL players, but I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Doran should get praise for like finding some amazing gem in the second round. Like if they became first line players, like if you found a Nikita Kucherov or something or Braden point or whatever. Okay. Then that's, that's a bit more deserved, but um I, yeah, I think I think some of that praise is a bit overhyped, uh, but at the same time, like they still have been good at drafting. I just don't think I just don't think that um, they should be given the benefit of the doubt for like every single pick when they go yeah, off the like, board a lot. But yeah, the the way some people talk about how they've drafted, you think they drafted like Tampa the past couple of years, you know? Like, yeah. And, yeah. and again, like there's nothing wrong with you know like Batherson in the fourth round is just. Great what a pick, steal. Great like, that's pick. a great yep. pick, but it's like, 100%. but it's not like, you know, like you see Tampa, Sorelli was a second rounder. Kucherov was a second rounder. They got point in the fourth round or whatever. Or maybe I'm mixing the rounds, but it's like, they get all these guys just randomly so deep in the draft. And it's just like, mm-hmm. and, and like not every team's going to do that. Tampa's a spe- Tampa's special and has been the best team on aggregate over the past four years for a reason. But like, yeah, it's just like, I, I do understand where it's like, sometimes the hype gets to that point where it's like, okay, let's, let's calm down. Like, it's like, for them, it feels like they take a trade off of like, we're going to get five or four NHL players out of this draft, but none of them are going to be great, you know, or like mm-hmm. elite. It's I should say not great because there are some very good players as you know, some other teams might go, we're going to get one single NHL player out of this draft, but they are going to be superstar potential, you know, like a top 30 winger in the league or whatever. And like, I don't know. Like you can, you can go back and forth on that. I think there's, there's arguments that are good and bad on both sides. I think it kind of depends what else is on your system. And, you know, obviously you want the star talent, but there's also places for teams where it's like four just good players is just as useful as one really good one, because it's like, you need that cheap depth sometimes too. For right? Sure. But, and I would say, I would say, honestly, Ottawa probably has, easily top five maybe maybe even like top three second or even first um in terms of young players like in, in terms of their depth they just under have 23 so much right? depth. yeah not necessarily yeah like not necessarily overall impact talent i would say like the kings and the rangers are, are definitely above them in that aspect but in terms of their depth like just how many players they have and potential nhlers like we we're talking about this earlier right with their the amount of forwards they have battling for spots like the amount of players they have is, is insane. So they've done a very good job at assembling um, potential NHL players. And I think a lot of them will get to that stage. So, um, you know, like, like kudos to them for, for doing that. But yeah, like, like you say, 
I think they have a, a bit of a different philosophy than they would compared to like the lightning where they would definitely, they would definitely target guys who are a bit more limited in terms of their potential, but maybe have a, a higher floor, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And even like speaking to that depth, like um, they drafted, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Hold on. They drafted uh, their their third pick in the first round this year. Uh, Ridley Gregg? Ridley Gregg. Like, they drafted him, and, like, on some of the boards, he's, like, eighth or ninth best prospect for Ottawa. And, like, and I'm not a prospect guy, so I have no idea. But, like, I just – I try and read as how many I can. But, like, he's not even – he's nowhere near top five for most of them. And oh, you, can yeah. look at the, you can look at that and go, oh, that's funny. And then also you can look at it and go, oh, shit, yeah, they have a lot of talent on, in the pool, mm-hmm. right? So it definitely goes back and forth where it's, like – you know, like, there's different ways to win the NHL. You definitely need a superstar or two, but, like, we've seen teams go super far with just a bunch of really, really, really good guys, you know? Um, Pretty much like St. Louis. Yep, exactly. Like, St. Louis, you know, Ryan O'Reilly was amazing, but, like, you know, you need someone to have a top 10 year, but you don't need someone to be a perennial top 10 player at your position if literally your entire top six is just guys who are, like <laughs> – first line players or second, you know, like it's just, you need to have, you need to be perfect everywhere else. And when that's kind of where like having stars, like especially multiple of them with with point and Kucherov and stuff like that helps because when it's gross, because Tampa was gross everywhere else too. It's not like they had a deficiency in the depth anymore or anything like that, but yeah, it it all goes into it obviously. So I don't know. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, the only other thing I had on the list to talk about today was uh, the World Juniors. You know, as a, as a, I think I'd call you a prospect guy. Like, always love <laughs> listening to you and Colin talk about the pro- prospects around um, draft time. So, with the World Juniors this year, they're they're starting Christmas Day, and World Juniors is my favorite time of the year. I'm not again. I just I love the chaos that is the hockey in the World Juniors is my favorite thing mm-hmm. ever. I love just sitting down and binging like four games in a row for like five straight days. But they're starting Christmas Day. There's not going to be – I don't see hockey starting until mid-January probably. You know, the NBA is trying to battle between mid-December, mid-January. I see hockey probably slotting in mid-January if they can figure everything out. But So with that being said, there's probably going to be a lot of players that are loaned to the NHL team. So last year, like, I, there's, it's possible almost the entire top 10 class of the 2019 draft gets to play in the World Juniors this year. Kirby Doc got lent to Canada today. My question was not just about the tournament itself, but if uh, Stutzel's ready to play, would you let him? Yeah, I, I think it I, – I wonder – I think it kind of depends on what Mannheim and the DEL would want. Um, I know that he obviously has the contract there. I would assume they would let him play. So, yeah, I, I would be all for that. You know, I, I don't think that – He's probably more one of the more NHL-ready players in this draft, but I don't I don't think it's like insane to suggest that he could benefit from more from more development this year. And and luckily he will get some of that while playing. Or oh, actually no, sorry, he. So <laughs> never mind. Um, but yeah, like, does that actually line up with his injury, or that that might was, be like right before he? It was like right at the end of it i think like it was okay. like gonna be where it's like he's cleared sometime late december so yeah so in that case yeah like i'd be for that especially just so he can kind of um catch up a bit and yeah i mean just see him see him light it up one more time and uh i, I think that would be awesome especially 
because he'd get to play against so many of the, those top players, like Canada would just be stacked. I mean, yeah. I'm looking at a potential roster here. Like there's you got Lafreniere, Doc, Alex Newhook, Perfetti, Peyton Krebs, Byfield, uh, Jack Quinn, Connor McMichael, Bone Byram, like so many amazing have, players. Like, so <laughs> Yeah, they have like 15 first-round picks on their forward invitees alone. Like, yeah. it's like, oh my, and that's not even including guys like Shane Wright, who's 2022 draft eligible or like, like some other depth guy, you know, like uh, I guess Greg would count, but there's, there's other guys who are like third. It's just insane. And the crazy yeah. thing is like the States and Sweden are going to be the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Sweden's going to be stacked. <laughs> and like, and like if I was an NHL team, like, so I t- we talked about it and it doesn't sound like the Rangers are really going to let Lafreniere go, which is disappointing. But, um, but like, if I was an NHL team, if I'm the Rangers, I probably wouldn't have that much of an issue with letting Lafreniere and Kako go play for the world juniors because to me, it's just like you use this as your training camp, except it's 10 times better of a training camp because yeah, you're ready, yeah. ready for the NHL in terms of competitiveness, right? But I understand teams also want to do it their own way. But, yeah, like I saw some people when the injury happened, and maybe he's not even cleared by the time, so maybe it's just a – it doesn't matter anyways, right? But I saw some people at the time, it's like, oh, I don't know if I'd risk it. It's like, well, I don't think risking it in the World Juniors is any worse than risking it in DEL against, you know, other grown men, right? Like, I mean, If he's healthy, I, I wouldn't see a problem with it. but. Um... Yeah, it kind of depends on, on how he heals. Yeah, exactly. And and if, you know, if I don't even know what the league out there with the DEL league is like, I don't know what their schedule's like. If if that coincides with their schedule, they might be like, ah, we've missed you for half the year. We might miss you for the rest. You want to yeah. play a couple of yeah. games, right? But but I don't I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say on, and on any of that? Uh, I guess I didn't really get your thoughts on the Chris Tierney contract. Sure, we can go over that, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, we can go with that quick. I was – personally surprised it was two years actually um i don't really have a problem with it i think 3.5 mils to whatever aav um i was a little i thought they were just gonna go one year and try and flip it at the deadline if i was being completely honest this year though yeah i mean i don't i don't really have a problem with it because it makes it seem like they know he's not uh he's not gonna be part of the team like team core moving forward and which he shouldn't be he's, he's gonna be pretty redundant like as soon as this year so um yeah honestly like I kind of feel bad for him because he's such a forgettable player I think a lot of people just forget about him um but yeah the only reason I could see why they might have done it for two years is so that they can expose him to Seattle and and maybe they they think Seattle would take him um because he would like it'll it'll all I don't know it could be either him maybe they want to take a guy like Joey Decord or maybe they want to take one of the prospects like you know Balsers or Schlappick or um, or maybe even like a uh, Nick Paul on the fourth line. So um, if they want that veteran guy, well, quote unquote veteran guy, Chris Tierney would certainly be someone that Seattle could take at a decently cheap price. Yeah. Um, so that would be the only reason why. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the expansion one's a fair enough point. I, I think they were already probably at the requirement. So there's an argument yeah, about yeah. whether you should or not. I don't think – I don't see personally them taking him because just with the analytics staff they're building there, like I, I could see Seattle having a very smart draft. But, uh, but you know, maybe like there's also times where like they got to hit the salary cap floor with the draft. So it's like if your options are a guy you yeah. know is a second or third liner and a guy who might be a second or third liner, but the one makes three million more, maybe that is. I, I don't know. I, I am preparing myself to probably lose one of – Balsers, Schlappick, or maybe Decord or Hogberg if they protect Murray. Yeah, um, yeah, that could certainly happen. 
But yeah, that would be who I'm, but I mean, there's also like tons of great goaltending potential out there too. Right. Like, so like there's going to be some teams that are really in a, in a, in a bind to, you know, let a, let a goaltender go and maybe they go, I don't know. I, I think Holtby's a little more washed now, but if you draft Holtby for one year and he's the, you know, what the flurry, what, what flurry was for a year, the face of your franchise to get some, you know, uh, seats sold, uh, maybe that would happen. I, I don't know. I think, you know, just with the Tierney thing, it's like, he probably, my only worry would be he's walking someone next year, but I don't know. I, I think there's ways around that anyways. Like, even in the off season, I would have a hard time believing there'd be no takers for him. Yeah, even, I think they could certainly move him for a pick. And even if it's only like a fifth or sixth, like if you really need to move him That's that fine, bad, yeah. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I think you could move him for whatever and, you know, no harm, no foul. So, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, I, I don't have much more to say. Um, plug some stuff. Where can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and, um, yeah, follow, you can follow my podcast called the cost for point cast. That's on pretty much any, any podcast streaming service. Uh, now you will have to search up silver seven because it's under the silver seven banner. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find that. You can follow my YouTube channel, the hockey shack. Uh, I haven't posted in a few weeks now, but there's some NHL, just like random NHL content, a couple sends videos as well. So, uh, yeah, you can subscribe to me there as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on, Trevor. It's an honor you know, to have you as my first guest uh, and <laughs> in the first episode here. I'm glad to get things off and running. Thanks, Alex. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, huge thanks to Trevor for joining me um, for my very first episode. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. And, um uh, let me know who you want to hear on in the future as well. Um, uh, very pretty open with that stuff. I, I want to get a whole mix of guests, as I said at the very beginning. So uh, I'm just glad I could do this, and um, I'm happy uh, it, it went so well for the first episode. So, yeah, follow me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. Uh, the first episode, unfortunately, probably won't be out on Apple Podcasts until a week after it gets released because of the five-day thing that it needs to go through to get approved. Um, that being said, hopefully by episode two, it should be on there. And honestly, hopefully within four or five days, the first episode will be on there too. Um, so eventually you'll be able to find this wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, hopefully within the week. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you all next week.